One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Michael Leader. I'm Hannah Strong. And I'm Leila Latif. On the show this week, Chloe Zhao brings a dash of the cosmic to the Marvel Cinematic Universe in Eternals. Paul Schrader bets big on Oscar Isaac in the gambling drama The Card Counter. And in Film Club, Dennis Hopper's long unavailable, now restored 1980 drama Out of the Blue. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. This episode of Truth and Movies is brought to you by Mothering Sunday, only in cinemas November 12th. A timeless story of life, loss and forbidden love set in post-World War I England, the film boasts an award-winning cast, including British acting royalty Olivia Colman and Colin Firth, alongside rising stars Josh O'Connor, Odessa Young and Chopé Derissou. Eva Husson directs this sumptuous romantic drama, with Normal People screenwriter Alice Birch adapting Graham Swift's acclaimed original novella. Mothering Sunday is only in cinemas from November 12th. Book tickets now at motheringsundayfilm.co.uk. Yes, welcome back, listeners, and welcome back, Hannah and Layla. Layla, it's uh, been a few weeks now. How have you been? You've come out the other side of the London Film Festival now. I've been good. I've been kind of living my um, kind of manic, Sagittarius, manic pixie dream girl life. I've been all over the world since I last saw you. I've been in Abu Dhabi, I've been in Italy, I've been in Sudan with my family, and now I'm back. And um, what happened? There's no food, um, there's no <laughs> petrol, things really collapsed in, in the interim, but still good to be talking to you all. Oh yeah, always a pleasure. And for my part, I'm a little less manic Sagittarius over here. I've just been up in in the attic in our house working so a bit less glam a bit less uh, globe trotting hannah how are you doing and what's the latest from little white lies towers yeah i'm good um kind of over my like festival fatigue now which is nice um the new issue is dropping next week uh we might have announced it by the time this comes out i'm not sure check our twitter <laughs> it's very, very very vague um but yeah it's it's an exciting one um we're just about to start production on the next issue so it never stops but um yeah i hope everyone likes it and we'll be saying more about that next week i'm sure yeah i'm very excited for this new issue i've heard that there are some real surprises as a part of it and it's always a lovely surprise finding out what the film is of course <laughs> so i suppose sorry i was just going to say i don't know if it's a spoiler to say that the new issues subject film is my film of the year so very much looking forward to getting it in my hands 
I mean, that could be, you know, at, at this stage, that could be Eternals. Before we know. <laughs> we should find out if that is your <laughs> film of the year, Layla. So let's kick off this week's new releases with Eternals. Marvel's Eternals welcomes a new team of superheroes to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The story, spanning thousands of years, features a group of immortal heroes. That's Richard Madden's Icarus, Gemma Chan's Cersei, Kamel Nanjiani's Kingo, Lauren Redloss Makari, Brian Tyree Henry's Fastus, Salma Hayek's Ajak, Leah McHugh's Sprite, Don Lee's Gilgamesh, Barak Yogan's Druig, and Angela Jolie's Athena. Yes, all of those. They're all forced out of the shadows to reunite against mankind's oldest enemy, the Deviants. There you have it, a bit of synopsis up top, introducing us to this stacked cast of, uh, of an ensemble we have. So Layla, let's start with you. Actually, one of the last episodes you were on was Black Widow, the first MCU film of the year. This is now the third MCU film of the year. What were you expecting going into Eternals? Were you excited? I think I was kind of expecting something quite similar to Black Widow, where I would there would be a real distinction between like the Kate Shortland, you know, Chloe Zhao, well directed dynamics of like conversations that are actually happening with people and characterization and stuff, and then like the dreadful second unit action scenes that are kind of just seem to like bring everything down a level i think what was different with this is that i actually disliked both halves and i didn't find the um kind of what is and 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 to an extent i would say that that is true i think you can definitely feel the switch from when it is going to kind of the marvel machine just doing its plasticky action nonsense and then uh kind of the chloe zhao perpetual sunset and you know a, a, a lot of brooding and a lot of kind of pregnant pauses and stuff but I do I just didn't like either sense of it I thought each it kind of it, it was weird everybody every character and there are so many of them and even by the end I didn't really have a sense of who most of them were and what they could do a lot of them seemed to have the same power which was just ma making stuff with their hands um I didn't um really have much of a connection to any of them aside from Gemma Chan and everybody else seemed to either be mm -hmm. brooding or quippy. Um, I think well, the thing with Chloe Zhao is as much as I really love her films for the most part and I love the writer in particular, I don't think she's funny. And I think that there's a real attempt to shove in a lot of quips, which none of which really landed to me. So it was a kind of quite deadening dad joke thing that kept happening and then as much as like she is known for like these landscapes and they made this whole thing about like oh this marvel film we're actually not going to green screen everything we're going to you know use a lot more kind of natural backgrounds and stuff um to me it just looked a lot like and the thing that i kept thinking of was the early rock vehicle the scorpion king right. yeah i thought it was like a really like it, it, embarrassingly cringe ancient landscapes when we go back to like ancient Mesopotamia or we go back to when genocides are happening and then in terms of the plot I just thought it was absolute nonsense and I kept again it's like my inner dialogue was like I felt I was trapped in a kind of hall of mirrors and every mirror was showing that sketch of Michelin Webb 
realizing that they're the baddies and it's like every 10 minutes somebody's just like but are we the bad guys and then 10 minutes later it's just like oh no but maybe we're the bad guys and it's just that was the entire thing and by the end I was just like well you kind of are the but I also don't care and the other thing that I would say is that for all that these are supposed to be eternal beings and be a kind of step above your regular superhero um like I don't think they had any like sense of like that these people have actually been around for many thousands of years and I think at some point it suggested it's millions of years like even something like you have this one character who's like a child and they're very frustrated that they've spent many all of these times trapped in a child's body and I didn't even think that performance was as I mean it's certainly no Kirsten Dunst in Interview with a Vampire, I didn't even think it was as good as Joseph Gordon-Levitt in Third Rock from the Sun. There was no sense of like an old soul actually trapped within this child's body. So yeah, really so that, disappointing that clears that up very quickly. This isn't the cover film of the next issue of Little White Lies. It's not your film of the year, Layla. <laughs> but also I, sh I should say, hey, don't don't put dad jokes down. Now I'm a dad and I make jokes. Some of them can be quite good, I'll say. But I, I'm glad that you mentioned um, Third Rock from the Sun early on because there's a lot of sort of competing aspects, as there always seems to be with Marvel films. And this one has had so many already talked about. We have Chloe Zhao coming in with what Kevin Feige called her signature style that we've seen off the back of The Rider and Nomadland, shooting on location, lots of sunsets, as you say. A sense of compassion, maybe, at the heart of those films about going into communities, learning about them, growing to love them, perhaps, which we talked about at length on our Jowpod one-off back at the beginning of the year. But then there's a lot of other more normal Marvel aspects to it, like the the comedy and the quippy dialogue, which could be phoned in from a Guardians of the Galaxy or an Avengers sort of bickering spin-off. So it does have this aspect of a dysfunctional family not unlike Third Rock from the Sun, rather than what you may expect of this grandiose grandeur of 7,000-year-old beings who've been there, been on the Earth since the literal beginning of civilization or the beginning of uh, human uh, existence. So it's it's a funny mixed bag of stuff going on here. But Hannah, what do you make of this? And can we like tease apart like what clearly the Chloe Zhao parts, what clearly where maybe Marvel interference? Also, we have this stacked ensemble all coming in, new characters, new lore coming into the world. A lot to pick through. Yeah, it always worries me when I look at a film and I see that there's like more than two credited screenwriters, um, because I think that is a sign usually of too many cooks. Um, and I think that's definitely the case in this film. I think that I agree with Layla. I don't think that Chloe Shaw is a particularly funny director, but a screenwriter. And these Marvel movies now, all of them kind of require that. And it, it's a shame because I, I think it, this could have been an opportunity to do something that doesn't have that like Guardians of the Galaxy-esque, like uh, Joss Whedon-y type of dialogue but they it's like they can't help themselves it's like they, they just feel compelled to try and make it you know kind of um look how cool we are it's all very like Steve Buscemi how do you do fellow kids um but I will say like I'm saying I don't like the comedy in it but then also I think that Kumail Nanjiani is like the best part of this film which is not something I expected to say um I'm not a particular fan of his work um but his character, Kingo, who's this sort of, um, he's been, he, he, can, he can shoot like 
I sound so ridiculous saying this. He can shoot like fire with his hands for like bolts of energy with his hands. Anyway, he's been hiding out in Bollywood for centuries <laughs> and he's just been pretending to be like different generations of this like Bollywood dynasty, which I think is a very funny and very like interesting idea that I would I would rather watch a film about that than a film about these like 20 odd superheroes who like oh we're so bored of earth but not really and it's just like the most yeah the the, the mo- anytime it hints at like an interesting idea it's like they get immediately ripped away from it because there's just too many other things going on the decision to center richard madden and jebba chan in this film will baffle me because i mean bless them they're not like the most charismatic movie stars and there's no chemistry between them like not a single <laughs> jot and then you have someone like Selma Hayek or Angelina Jolie coming in in like a supporting role and you're just like, oh man, that's what a movie star is like, you know? They, they have this like energy, this charisma that is just, you can't like, for all the world in the world, you can't kind of fake that. And it does feel to me like this is a film where they're just, they're worried after they've killed off Captain America and Iron Man and they're just kind of like throwing everything at the wall in the hopes that someone among the Eternals will resonate with audiences. Um, But in that kind of very transparent attempt, you end up with not really forming a connection to anyone. And it just all feels like, more than any other Marvel film I can remember recently, it feels like a very blatant attempt at um, forcing something on an audience, (laughs) which I think is like most obvious in the kind of much uh talked about post-credit scene which is one of the worst things I've ever had to witness in a cinema just like painful really like I I mean Michael was sat next to me for for this and I just I think after I was just like oh no no I don't like that at all (laughs) it just it really did give me the ick what um, accent was happening there, do you think, in that post-credit scene? I think that's his natural accent, and I don't think that's how a superhero should ever sound. I, I'm sorry to all people from Cheshire, but it's not it's not a good accent. But then everyone's doing their own accent, except for Angelina Jolie, who's doing a sort of like weird, like phantom menace post-civilization. Mm. I'm from it's, nowhere. It, it, it reminds me of um, <laughs> the early Christopher Eccleston Doctor Who episode where they ask uh, if you're an alien why do you sound like you're from the north and the answer is every planet has a north and it is like every planet has a scotland Richard <laughs> Madden. <laughs> um, i did i mean i did like that because i think it added a bit more like you know kind of depth i guess but i mean it's as deep as a puddle really isn't it because you don't get a sense of who any of these characters are apart from you it's like everyone gets one scene mm-hmm. where they explain their thing and it's like oh here's fastos he created the atomic bomb <laughs> it's just like i yeah you, you're never really given enough of a chance to say in this this is a film that's nearly three hours long you're never given a chance to kind of really care about any of these characters and i, I particularly found sprite objectionable I agree completely that she doesn't have that kind of grounding. And also she complains a lot about her appearance, being that of a 12-year-old child. Her power is being able to change her appearance. I'm yeah, sorry, but what? I think that um, <laughs> it's, it's so hard, isn't it? There are so many moving pieces here in terms of having to completely introduce this new 
cast of characters whilst also coming along with that a whole new batch of lore having to in some ways cover 7,000 years worth of history although it's predominantly set in the present day mostly set around the UK as well um, whilst also allowing um, Chloe Zhao to go and shoot in some beautiful locations at beautiful times of day with natural light you know you can some very nice shots of Richard Madden and Gemma Chan just sort of standing in a sunset but it doesn't really considering that there's a major theme in here about how the most powerful beings on the planet are, uh, anyway, they're actually quite futile. They can't interfere with all the things that have happened in history. Some of the gifts they may have given human civilization thousands of years ago may have turned into things that have been problems. That's the, what you're hinting at with Fastos there, um, that he is the guy that's bringing all of these uh, like scientific um you know, uh, breakthroughs to humanity, but that can turn into to you know, machines of war. Barry Keoghan's Druig is you know can influence people's minds, but how can you actually affect change when you influence people's minds without just becoming a sort of tyrant yourself? And likewise, you know, Gemma Chan's Cersei can cha- change matter, but can she change human hearts? And I, 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 it's it's there's a lot in there. I'd recommend reading David Jenkins's you know he he calls it himself a rave for this film because he's found a thread through this <laughs> film that I don't think either of any of the three of us saw in it but also he thinks that this is where Chloe Zhao can really indulge in her Terence Malick influence inspiration the fact that she loves him her standom of him there are sequences in the middle which I think comic fans would probably say is a reference to the original Jack Kirby comics because these were very much over the top crazy cosmic full splash page of stuff you have you know nonsense happening in space types type um type artwork but it could also be very much a riff on Terence Malick's Tree of Life Voyage of Time documentary as well but I will, very quickly before we go to scores, I will shout out Angelina Jolie for one second. Uh, Hannah, I remember when we were talking about Shang-Chi and Tony Lung coming on screen and what's the, what's the phrase, shut up fives or tens speaking? And uh... <laughs> Yes, yes, the Jenna Maroney uh, effect is real with these, with, with, but I agree completely that Angelina Jolie, we said as we came out, we were like, that is a movie star. That is like charisma. That is talent. That is nerve. That is, you know, she just, she just, I, I, it made me come out and think like, why are we not getting more Angelina Jolie films? Because she really does have this magnetism. Your eye is just like constantly drawn. And same, yeah, same with uh, Tony Leung and uh, Michelle Yeoh in Shang Tree. And it's, it's amazing to see these like veteran performers kind of um, walk into these like ridiculous like films with the, the, that make kind of no sense and totally sell it you know you you, you genuinely yeah. buy it from them but yeah it was kind of disappointing how and, little they do with and her, since that some of these characters are playing on superhero archetypes and hers is very much athena athena god of war goddess of war it's essentially angelina jolie's wonder woman movie we never got in, her, in many of her scenes and it's that's oh. something to take away from this at least on my in my for me but let's put some scores on this, Layla. I'll come to you first. In anticipation, enjoyment in retrospect. Um, so in anticipation, probably a three. I um, really uh, love Chloe Zhao's work, but a lot of the kind of promotional materials look bad. 
Like I just, I could talk for ages about the fonts on the poster. There's too many of them. They're rubbish. Why is everybody looking to the side? I just find all of that like slightly annoying. Um, and then if, whilst watching it, maybe two, it just kept going on and on and on. And it all just felt like a little bit silly a lot of the time, but not appreciating its own silliness. Like even Angelina Jolie, she has something called Mad Weary. And I was just like, that just made me think of brain scramblies from what we do in the shadows. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, in retrospect to more Angelina Jolie, I actually think Brian Tyree Henry was pretty good. They hint at a mockumentary that Kumail Nanjani's character might be making. I'd be very up for watching that, actually. Um, but yeah, not good. Hannah? Um, I think... Probably the same as Layla. I, yeah, I mean, it's it's it was a three anticipation just because I I think I'm very fatigued with these films generally, uh, which is what I say every single time I have to be on this podcast talking about one. Um, and then the trailer did nothing for me. I I thought it was a cheap a, ch a cheap blow using uh, uh, Skeeter Davis, and then yeah, enjoyment three. Um, it just it was so long for not a lot to happen, really. Um, and then, in retrospect, probably probably a three, maybe a two. I don't know. I just, I just have no like strong feelings about it. I it, it's such a blah of a movie to me, and I really came out of it just thinking like how much I love Angelina Jolie and how much I like. Um, uh, Barry Keoghan as well I think he's another like kind of doesn't really have a lot to do but you know kind of utilizes his screen time as best he can uh, but yeah it's I, I'm a bit worried about the future like is this what we've got to look forward to for the next 10 years yeah it's been it's been a funny year for the Marvel Cinematic Universe after all of the delays through 2020 and then we've had Black Widow which was very much a wrapping up of one story whilst also teasing for future things. Shang-Chi as well promised to be something quite new but also in, in many other ways would re retread some, some ground stylistically and then this one was meant to be hey we've got the director of Nomadland it's going to be so different from what you're used to and I think for me I was a bit disappointed that a lot of it could have just been copied and pasted in terms of the character banter and dysfunction from any of their other team movies where um it's all at the heart of it about similar themes of dysfunction and um and egos and so on so i'm i'm a li little bit concerned particularly that in the future we're going to have more dysfunctional family team movies in the mcu with fantastic four x-men eventually i'm sure and if this is what they do with these sort this character these characters will they just end copy paste again into those ones we'll have to see but with Eternals I think there are things within it that I enjoyed but um, overall maybe a failed kind of project of bringing in this independent art house filmmaker to stamp a visual style on a let's say C tier character set so mine, mine would probably be threes across the board my scores but listeners have a look at David's review on lwlies.com a much more positive one he very much drank the Kool-Aid and let us know what you make of Eternals if you watch it this weekend or beyond usual channels at LWLies on Twitter or truthandmovies at tcolondon.com via email. Up next, we have Oscar Isaac in the card counter. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Redemption is the long game in Paul Schrader's The Card Counter. This revenge thriller featuring performances from Oscar Isaac, Tiffany Haddish, Ty Sheridan and Willem Dafoe tells the story of an ex-military interrogator turned gambler haunted by the ghosts of his past decisions. So Hannah, I picked up the vibe that you were very excited to see this movie, right? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I've made no bones about the fact that Oscar's my boy. The boy. We we talk a lot about Hannah's boys mm-hmm. on the show. He's he's the boy, the original boy. <laughs> no, I, I I love Oscar Isaac. I think he's a fantastic actor and incredibly charming. And and, and for some reason, just makes really bad career decisions and like has made some truly awful films. And I think he struggles to kind of find directors that really know what to do with him. Um, but. I would say in Paul Schrader, I think he's found a kind of another Coen Brothers, um, which is like, you know, Paul Schrader's so hit and miss. Um, If you told me kind of four years ago that, yeah, Paul Schrader's really going to be on one in a few years time, I I think I would have struggled to believe you. Um, But yeah, this very much from when it was announced, I was um, fully signed in, like, yeah, all my chips on this one. And um, it just, I think after, you know, I, I, I talked about First Reform on the podcast as well which was probably like my top three maybe of 2019. Um, And I think very much just like sad man who's done terrible things brooding is like, that's, that's so my shit. It's not funny. And then I had to sit through watching everyone at Venice (laughs) see this. And most, most people loved it. I think Um, a couple of naysayers, but I was sitting through all that. And then the film has been kind of like, buried a little bit I don't know why but um it feels like there's been kind of no fanfare so I've been getting extremely frustrated about the whole thing just like when am I going to see the car count and when when I'm going to see it um and then I went to see it and loved it I think it's um a horrifically sad horrifically uh, uncomfortable film about a man who has done terrible things kind of trying to find some redemption by stopping someone going down the same path um very much in the vein of like Paul Schrader's constant fascination with bad men looking for kind of absolution in some small form um and yeah I just thought it was quite unlike anything else that's 
been re- uh, released this year. It's so austere, and you're you're on edge for basically the entire runtime, just waiting for horrible things to happen, and they do happen eventually. Um, but yeah, it, and also very different for Oscar Isaac, who usually plays this kind of like winsome, charming, um, you know, man about town, and William Tell is. I, uh, I don't think a particularly charming character. Um, but yeah, I was really like still kind of, I saw it two weeks ago and I'm still like on cloud nine about this. I can't wait to go and see it again. Layla, where, where were you with this? That's clearly the, um, you know, the, the stands excitement <laughs> there. Hannah's very much in the, in the bag. Where, where are you with Paul Schrader? Of course, first reformed his most recent film, but his films date way, way back to Taxi Driver and Beyond. Yeah, I saw this in Venice, so it was I kind of went in um, not really with like many expectations. The marketing materials again were they kind of made it look like it might be a bit Ocean's Eleven, yeah. um, and so my assumption was this is just going to be one of Schrader's misses. This is going to be like the Canyons or something <laughs> like that. And I went in, and I just I just became completely obsessed with every detail of this film i think oscar isaacs is just absolutely extraordinary in it but i became like just even like little details like the drinks that everyone orders and i think the use of color in this film is so extraordinary where you kind of have a lot of oscar isaacs journey kind of to his i suppose to his better self his hopes of redemption are like marked with like these transitions into really like colorful moments moments he has with Tiffany Haddish and when he kind of accepts sort of like a brutish a brutish side to himself and gives up all hope it all kind of returns to like this steely monochrome and I just like it was just a filmmaking feast for me and I think everyone in it was so perfectly pitched when I saw that Tiffany Haddish was in it I just thought that seemed like a bit weird but I thought she's actually unbelievable in it she represents this sort of like warmth that's just and and like potential for a better life for this man that is just always slightly out of his reach and uh ty sheridan who's not someone who i rated very highly i think kind of manages to kind of have this like i don't know so i kind of don't want to give that much away because i think one of the joys of this for me was not knowing that it was it's you know it's not about card counting at all (laughs) um but yeah he he he's kind of someone that is convincingly a shot at redemption he has like a little nugget of goodness in him but you do also believe that he could kind of be so misguided as to end up somewhere extremely dark himself so yeah I, i i loved this yeah it's it really is unlike anything else I've seen this year, certainly in the English language, certainly coming out of America, it does have a gloss to it, but also an austerity to it. It's I, Again, it's a tone that's not for everyone, I'm sure, particularly if you're expecting Oscar Isaac and Tiffany Haddish and thinking of the charisma they bring to their other film roles. They're, they're particularly Oscar Isaac's playing this anti-charismatic character mm-hmm. and Schrader's writing... It, it'll be familiar to anyone that has seen any of his films from the 70s or 80s or Light Sleeper, which we talked about on this podcast and um, first reformed as well. It's this stylized, 
no one really talks like this sort of dialogue then lots of sequences of his main character writing in perfect with perfect penmanship in a journal <laughs> i did wonder if that was oscar isaac's actual handwriting because if so it's gorgeous because like beautiful handwriting and i also was very um tickled by the fact that we use the same brand of fountain pen I was like, that's a Lamy Safari. I see you. I see you, Schrader. Um, that that really got me. The details once again. But um, I think, yeah, I, I do. I, I go back and forth on Schrader because on one hand, I think he's an incredibly talented writer and director. On the other hand, he strikes me as a, a really objectionable person. Um, and there's some jokes in the film. And, you know, Schrader's a big poker player. Like, this is his kind of, um, throughout lockdown, he'd been... Uh, posting on his Facebook about how he kept getting kicked out of online poker groups because he was being misogynistic <laughs> and was very like open about this. So you know, it's a real case of like sh- struggling to reconcile the man <laughs> with the art um, because the art is so like all his films are so deeply self-loathing and kind of really grapple with what it is to be a man in this modern world. Mm-hmm. And then Schrader himself is just like, why can't you tell abroad she's got nice tits anymore? And it's just like, it's very, it's very strange to me. Um, but yeah, I, I think the kind of, the austerity of the film is really, there aren't a lot of de- directors who are afraid, who are like bold enough to make that kind of choice. I think there's a real like lean towards maximalism in kind of mainstream cinema. And this is like, this is a, um, it's universal, like Focus mm-hmm. distributed it. So it is like, for Schrader, it's kind of like, you know, it's it's a big deal. Um, but it's just, yeah, there's something so disquieting about it all. And I think that uh, part of that is like the music's done by Robert Levin Bean, who is the son of the guy who did the music for Light Sleeper. Right. Um, and he's also a member of uh, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. There's an amazing interview with him on com where he talks about being on the set of The Last Temptation of Christ when he was a teenager. So he's like known Trader for years and he's got, he's created this like dirge of a soundtrack. It is, I was listening to it in the supermarket and I had to turn it off because I was like, this is distressing me out. Um, but it is, yeah, that, that, that kind of like... Um, formal for formal boldness in filmmaking is so I mean maybe I'm just like starved for kind of like good mainstream cinema at the moment but yeah it, it just felt really kind of um like you were seeing someone's vision mm-hmm. and it, I think it's so it's obviously you know a sign of Paul's privilege as you know a kind of like grandfathered um Hollywood legacy you know I think that there's a kind of he does things his way because he is allowed to do things his way uh, with with Schrader. But I, yeah, it was just exhilarating to really be in the hands of like a master filmmaker after seeing so many kind of bad films in recent times. Yeah, and you say formal boldness, but also this thematic boldness as well. I don't think there are many filmmakers that would, as, as you say, Layla, start off in territory that's very Ocean's Eleven. It's the, the glitzy <laughs> gambling rooms of Atlantic City and elsewhere um, with this guy who's going through all of his tricks and things he's learned about how to count cards and going through the statistics of risk and reward across all of the different ways to gamble in a, in a casino. But then to tie that to what is one of Paul Schrader's you know, favourite thematic territories which is the lonely man adrift in this dying American civilization that has is rotten to the core and then to tie it as we say in the synopsis but don't talk too much about that to his past as an, a, a military interrogator 
it does that there are some big leaps there and big big jumps to make and do we think that is, is that uh, does that pay off does that real deep results layla yeah i think again i, I don't want to keep going on about marvel fatigue but i think i've really <laughs> had a lot of american exceptionalism you know hit over the head with it so often with like a lot of these mainstream films so to like see such a kind of biting critique of it and particularly Oscar Isaac who sort of knows the dark underbelly of like American exceptionalism contrasted with you know the poker player Mr. USA who's you know a immigrant who just thinks that everything about America is so wonderful because he has such a shallow understanding of it yes very good film. <laughs> Let's put some scores on this. Hannah, um, I can probably predict what you might give this, but what would you give the card counter? Um, I gave it, I, I would give it a forward anticipation just because Trader, wild card himself, you know, you never know if you're getting like, um, you know, Light Sleeper bringing out the dead Trader or if you're getting like weird straight to DVD Nick Cage <laughs> poor Trader. Um, an enjoyment, I will put it at a four just because I think anyone that gives it a five is probably a bit unhinged um, because you, yeah, I don't think it's a film you're particularly meant to like enjoy. I think you're meant to experience it. Um, and then retrospect, I, I'm going to put it at a four for now, but that could easily change to a five. I'm planning on seeing it again on my birthday if I can like get to a screening because I've been looking and the screening times for this are not great. It is one that people are going to have to like actively seek out. Um, but yeah, I just think it's, it's a real kind of... Um, hidden gem in our crowded sort of release landscape i think if there was any justice in the world oscar isaac would be getting like oscar nominations for this performance but he won't because it's not that kind of film and that's fine but yeah i just hope that he manages to find filmmakers again that he can kind of work with um in this kind of way where it feels like there's a real understanding and like a synergy between director and subject and i'd love to see him in a martin scorsese film mm. scorsese um, executive produced this and I, yeah, I think that would be a really interesting fit for me. Um, yeah, go see it. That's that's I can't, I can't recommend it enough. Layla, what's your scores? Uh, probably a somewhere between a two and a three going in. Like, was not that particularly excited for it. Just kind of, I, I assumed it was going to be a miss. Enjoyment, as Hannah says, I'm slightly unhinged, so I was at a five. <laughs> Loved it. Um, <laughs> retrospect five. It's one of my favorite of the year, actually. Like, and I'm doing a lot of my end of year list now, so I'm I'm, I'm reflecting on these things. Like, I just, I, it, it's, it really kind of like spoke to kind of themes that I'm really interested in about the world, about philosophy, about redemption, about you know, like, you know, the power of the power of kind of self-reflection and whether we can actually ever escape like the worst things that we've done. Like, yeah, very into it. Yeah, three, four, four from me. I think that's a recommendation from all three of us. If you can find it playing near you, listeners, we'd recommend it. Those are the two new releases this week. Up next, we have a new release on Blu-ray, pulled out of the archive, Out of the Blue. So here's a bit of blurb for Out of the Blue. CB is a teenage rebel obsessed with Elvis and the Sex Pistols. Her trucker father, Don, is in prison after drunkenly smashing his rig into a school bus, and her mother, Kathy, is a junkie waitress who takes refuge in the arms of other men, including Don's best friend, Charlie. With Don's release, the family struggles to reconnect and the trauma of the past looms large as dark secrets slowly begin to emerge. 
So this film is, I don't know if, it, if you class it as lost, but it certainly fell through the cracks. It was unavailable for many years. One of Dennis Hopper's few directorial credits after he burned through all his goodwill with the last movie in 1971. And he was due to star in this film, and then the director of the film was kicked off the project and he rewrote the script and then said, I'll direct it myself and then turn it to a very different film. And it's always been held up as a you know, a gem within American underground cinema. I was, you know, really kind of uh, lucky to see it at the BFI South Bank a few years ago as part of a season there. It's so great to now see it released, you know, souped up on Blu-ray. A really, um, you know, a really packed Blu-ray set. I think one of the extras is actually three hours long full of interviews about this movie. But uh, Layla, I'll come to you first. Had you seen Out of the Blue before or did you know anything about it? No, I watched it for the first time this morning, um, which is quite a way to kind of wake up and start your day. Um, yeah, I I, I, I I, really, really liked it. And I think the thing that I found interesting, and it's like something that's very much exists in something like Henry portrait of, this, of a serial killer, of like these ideas of people existing in like cursed landscapes. And like, there's almost like a slightly greek tragedy element to it where there's a, it's sort of building to tragedy but it's also there's something that feels very fated about it like like no matter what our kind of central young woman cd wants to do there's sort of she can't escape this fate and there's only one way that this will end up by some means or another and i thought that was a really I mean, yeah, maybe Hannah's right. I'm just unhinged. These are like themes that I, that I really like. You know where I am too. <laughs> but yeah, I thought, and I, and you know, I, I'm not sure what it was beforehand before Dennis Hopper did a kind of rewrite and decided to to um, you know to to reshape it. Um, but I think he created like a truly incredible performance from Linda Manns. I think she's unbelievable in it. And so, yeah, you know, very glad that this has come my way. Yeah, I, I think it really is Linda Manns' movie more than Dennis Hopper's in a way, because I think as part of that rewriting, he just, he'd already hit it off with Linda Manns because they were in scenes together, of course, in the original, whatever they were shooting. But then he, you know, reshaped the character to be the music she liked and was listening to, very much informed by her character. So she has a a, a sense of authorship over that character that is really something to behold. She's coming off the back of she's great in Days of Heaven just before this and has that very unique voice, uh, both creatively and her actual accent. And that comes through so well in this. And it's the thing that if there's anything to take from this, it's her performance. Hannah, what do you make of this? Yeah, so I saw it at probably about the same time that you did when I think it was the BFI did like an American, um, it was like an alternative history mm. of America type thing. I, I remember seeing this and I think I saw River's Edge like the next week, which is a great double bill if you can do it. Um, kind of like one of Keanu Reeves' early roles, really great film as well, um, with similarly like bleak themes. Um, but yeah, I loved it when I saw it. I had kind of seen nothing like it. I think it's so bleak and so kind of... Um, it reminds me a lot of Vagabond, the Agnes Varda film. This is kind of like what I would say is like the American equivalent, maybe. You know, you're just totally with this, this character who is so... Um, so troubled and so kind of um, lost in this world and is really like seeking connection and doesn't ever kind of get the chance to find it because the world she's surrounded by is so harsh and 
she, Linda Manns is just phenomenal. I think the the balance she strikes between this like very rebellious, very kind of yeah, constantly <laughs> constantly screaming like kill all hippies <laughs> and um, wearing wearing kind of like her uh, uh, Sid Vicious get up and the that harshness but then there's also this like incredible vulnerability to her which i think comes in particularly when she's with um dennis hopper and the revelations that come kind of in the latter half of the film i think it it breaks your heart you know because i think you really feel her pain and i would be fascinated to know kind of how much of this was in the original um script because i think it's it's kind of rare to get a film like you know, 1980 when this came out, which is so kind of like all in on a teenage girl and is so like in her mindset. And even the tagline of this film is amazing. Like I remember seeing the poster and the tagline for this film was, she's 15, the only adult she admires is Johnny Rotten, which is just such a great tagline for a film. Um, But yeah, it is really, I'm, I'm so thrilled that it's kind of finally got a proper release because it's, to me, like it's still incredibly relevant today. I think it, you know, it's one of those films that I think if more people had seen it, we probably would be like aiming for like a remake roundabout now because I think this idea of like the troubled teenager striking out against this very violent world whilst also having this deep vulnerability is very kind of, um, you know, that's like catnip to <laughs> to audiences. And I think this is like, if I'd seen this as a teenager alongside, you know, something like The Virgin Suicides or um, uh, Ghost World, it would have like blow my mind I would have been um you know I would have been dressing up as CB and kind of like trying to live my best punk life um yeah I really I can't kind of praise it enough I think it's a really special film a really strange and sad experience but also like there's there's some deeply funny moments in it as well I think it's such a shame that kind of Linda Manns didn't really like you know she didn't have the easiest life um particularly after um, she had the you know days of heaven and this within a two year period, um, but yeah, if ever there was a film that is an advert for her kind of talents, I think it's this one. Yeah, and the energy is just so electric. You know, we we tend to sometimes view these films from the archive and see them very much as you know historical documents, and this one is that because he's you know Dennis Hopper was so inspired by Sex Pistols and everything. She was listening to the soundtrack provided by Neil Young. You know taking songs off the his most recent album at that point so it's all so fresh for that moment but it clearly does still play well today that performance is so um raw and vibrant and you can see how it's influenced people because like this restoration was you know exec produced presented by natasha leone and chloe sevigny which gives us this almost genealogy coming from a film like this into some of the child performances or young adult performances we might have seen in the 90s and 2000s with them and it gives us a route back to this film as almost like a a mother text for that it's quite fascinating so Layla, would you recommend this one as well i i i I don't think an early morning viewing is necessarily the best way for (laughs) it but what do you think uh well you know maybe um maybe you would assume that but actually I am such a morning I'm so not a morning person that like actually it, it, that kind of crack of dawn is like when I feel the bleakest so actually thematically <laughs> it was perfect as a kind of 6 30 introduction to the day um yeah it'd be fours across the board for me score wise I, I would really recommend it I think it's a a wonderful piece of work and you know and it's really nice to see such like a singular vision 
And like, I do think like all three films are quite interesting to <laughs> think about at the same time because it is it's such this like messed up paternal relationship w week that we've had with, with, yeah. with all three of them. So yeah. <laughs> That's um, very true. Yeah. Daddy issues. That should be the name of this uh, this episode. <laughs> this very special episode of Truth and Movies. Yes, <laughs> listeners do seek out the Blu-ray set of Out of the Blue, and as Hannah said, the story behind this film and beyond this film is just as interesting as well. So it's one of those booklets and one of those second discs that will just be as be just as uh, intriguing and fascinating as the film itself. But that is your lot for this week, listeners. Leila, Hannah, thank you so much for joining me it's been a pleasure as always talking through these films with you listeners you can let us know what you make of any of the films we've discussed this week at the usual channels at lw lies on twitter or truth and movies at tcolondon.com via email next week we have clint eastwood's latest cry macho lin-manuel miranda's tick tick boom and the bfi are re-releasing mike lee's naked so we're going to revisit that film as well so please, listeners, subscribe wherever you pod. And if your podcast player of choice lets you leave reviews, we'd love you to leave one for us too. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Truth and Movies is a Little Dot Studios production for Little White Lies. It's hosted by me, Michael Leader, and my guests this week were Leila Latif and Hannah Strong. The podcast is produced by Jake Cunningham and Harold McShiel and edited by Steph Watts and James Payne. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 